I'm Justin Noda. And I'm Kyle Green. And you're listening to Mortgages, eh? A show designed to educate industry professionals and satiate the mortgage nerds. Underwriting, investing, getting the deals done while having a few laughs along the way. Welcome to Mortgages A. I'm Justin Noda and my co-host... Kyle Green. And we're here to talk about all things mortgage brokering related in the Canadian mortgage industry. Welcome, and we're happy to have you today. Kyle. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. This is our first one. It is. Yes, it's exciting. It's a long time coming. Yeah. A long time discussed. Um, Kyle and I have known each other for... I've been trying to recruit you for a couple of years. It was Justin. a while. Yeah, yeah, was, for sure. We were going in the dating scene. And I'm just like, hey, <laughs> hey, you want to go for coffee maybe? You know, and you kept declining and it's true. pretending like it was better over there. But you, we both know the grass is greener. That's true. I, the grass is definitely greener over with Kyle Green. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. Um, but yeah, so we've been, we've been working together hand in hand for probably about two years now. Almost two years. I think two years in March. Yeah. And we decided to get this this podcast going for for a number of different reasons. I know for me, one of the main reasons that I kind of wanted to get going is just to have a place where we can educate, where we can inform people, not only from a base level, like the new agents, but also the more experienced agents to have them have a place where they can come and learn from someone such as yourself. Um, and then the new levels or the, or the intermediate levels where they have someone where they can come and learn from someone like myself who has, I've been in this mortgage industry for just as long as you have. We have we've taken a much, much different path that we'll definitely dive into more. But our different paths, I think, are, are kind of what make us strong. Yeah, absolutely. I think we both have something different, different perspective on everything, right? So yeah, it's, it's uh, honestly it's really exciting. We've been brainstorming this whole podcast thing for months and months <laughs> and months. And it's nice to just finally start to do it. And uh, yeah. One of the things that I always find interesting is the story of how somebody, like why somebody got into the brokering industry. Mm-hmm. And then also after they got into the industry, why they stayed in it, you know? Like, <laughs> why did you stay in mortgage brokering, you crazy, you know? So what's your story, Justin? I mean, you, you've told me a little bit of it, but I, I'd actually like to deep dive into that a little bit more. Sure. And I'd love to I'd love to stick to your, why are you still in it <laughs> situation? Because it's becoming more and more prominent um, in that conversation, especially when you're interviewing new agents. Um, that's one of the stories that they ask, right? They want to know, how come you're here and why are you still in it? Because it's horror stories here and horror stories there. But, yeah. you know, it's always comes down to service for me. Um, and being able to help people, whether it's accomplish their their dreams of home ownership, or if they're already in there, maybe they want to refinance to you know help their kid go to school. Um, it's those relationship buildings. I think that's really really important, um, and that's kind of re- the reason that I'm still in it. That's what's held me in it. My mother in law was a broker owner, one of the first women owners of a mortgage center Canada franchise in Western Canada. She opened it in 1991, um, and then ran it successfully until she. Eventually brought her daughter, my wife, in in 2005. And then she roped me in in 2006 because there was a boom that was happening in Calgary. So the oil boom was going on and money was flying everywhere and oil was never going to go down. And (laughs) Fort McMurray was, you know, $700,000 houses that were $150,000 the year before, right? It was a crazy time and she needed the help. So she brought me in. And a year and a half after I got licensed, I ended up owning that franchise. And for, for me, it was too soon. How old were you? 27. You owned a brokerage at 27. I did. So, and I didn't have... What a failure that must have been. It was a failure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm working with you now. So I think that speaks to where I was able to take that on my own. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest things is that I learned that, I learned what not to do 
And I learned a hard lesson in what not to do because um, it took, you know, agents leaving and me realizing the cracks that were in my foundation um, that I hadn't had time to develop. So I think, again, that's one of the other reasons that I'm in the position that I am in is because I really like to make sure that agents have that foundation before they take those next steps. So for me, uh, owning the brokerage, we ran it for about six years, me and my wife did together. Um, and we had lots of fun doing it. We made lots of friends, lots of connections that I still know today. But eventually we got to the point where we wanted to come to British Columbia. And so with that, I wasn't able to and didn't want to take that brokerage across provincial lines. So I gave it up and I went and I worked with another mortgage center franchise owner, uh, Marco Gello, um, who I still consider a very good friend today. And through that experience, I also underwrote for three or four of the top teams in British Columbia, um, where I was able to meet lots of the top level producers, find out what their processes, what their policies were, how different they interacted with clients and agents between one another, um, how they treated their underwriters, how they mistreated their underwriters, not to the point where it's a negative thing, but just handled certain situations differently. And from there, at one of those places, I was able to meet a, a gentleman named Jeff Shoji. And Jeff Shoji eventually ended up being Kyle's underwriting manager, um, who eventually kind of convinced him or told him about me. Um, and then from there, Kyle started trying to date me. I was trying. I was trying. <laughs> he did a great job. My wife Brought was Brought you jealous. flowers. Yeah. And, and nothing works. Nothing works. <laughs> nothing works until no. Kyle was uh, fortunate enough to come across uh, a deal for a large brokerage, which I'll let him tell you about. Um, but my past ownership experience paired with my brokering background, my underwriting background, uh, my excessive good looks, uh, my positivity, mm -hmm. right? all those things kind of came together to have this position in hand. Um, and that kind of leads me where I am today. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting uh, as you're talking about things, two interesting points I'm, I'm very interested in, in understanding a little bit better too. So your mother-in-law was a mortgage broker in 1991. Yes. How wild, wild west was that? It was crazy. Yeah. We always make fun. And we still poke fun. Of her. her name is Diana White. And we always make fun of her for having... Uh, so RECA, the Real Estate Council of Alberta, um, is the regulatory body in Alberta. And we always say that she has RECA number one. Um, because everyone else has these numbers that are like 13964, right? So she hates that we always say that. To the point where we even put it on a couple of her birthday cards, which prominently got sent right back. <laughs> but it's those type of things, right? So yes, Wild Wild West, 100%. I came in in 06, and it was it was the Wild West compared to today. And back then, you hear these stories that she tells you that even my 2006 brain were like, holy moly, like that's ridiculous. So my, my compliance-minded, BCFSA-driven mind that I have today is like, how are we all still here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah, way back then, I mean, I don't think there were any A-lenders in the channel back then. I no. think it's all private lending. Yeah. So you only went to a broker if you couldn't get a mortgage through a bank. That's exactly right. And then I think it was in the mid-90s, um, that's when you saw, saw some of the trust companies come into the channel. I think that's when um, eventually, for those that uh, remember, uh, first-line mortgages came in, I think in the mid to late 90s. Yep which we'll get into. I'm sure we're going to talk about first line. First line so, always comes yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, very different. Uh, I, I think um, the evolution of the mortgage broker has has changed a lot. And I think it took some time before clients started to accept that a mortgage broker could be the first phone call, not the last phone call, yeah, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think especially the older demographic still believes, hey, I think you should be uh, going to the bank first, right? And actually on that note, one of the things that I've learned as a broker is when you're dealing with a customer, 
and your customer is getting a large gift from family, from parents, I always like to make sure that I ask the customer, are your parents going to be a key decision maker in this process or not? Would you like for us to get on a phone call together to discuss the mortgage terms? Because one of the things that you learn as a mortgage broker is to make sure you have all of the decision makers involved in the process. If you're talking to just the husband or just the wife and the other person's the decision maker and you haven't built the relationship with the decision maker, then you might be wasting a bunch of time with the wrong person, yeah. you know? And with the parents, especially, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were newer in the business, the number of deals that I lost because the parents were pulling the strings in the background saying, oh, you got to talk to my banker though. If only you could have gotten on a phone call or in a meeting with the parents involved in the process and like, oh, I'm worried, this guy is actually pretty professional, you know? Because they're in their mind, the mortgage broker is the person that you go to if you can't get financing. Especially if you're dealing with like a personal friend of yours. It's like, so <laughs> the parents are thinking, okay, so you want to use your buddy from high school who's 22 <laughs> years old. The image in their head is just not what they want their, their kids, uh, the process they want their kids to be going through to, to make the most important purchase of their whole life, right? Yeah. So I think it's really important and a, a note is to always ensure that you're involving the decision makers in the process. And if you notice there's a big gift coming from family, get the family involved. There's a good chance. And maybe the, the kids don't want the family involved. It's like, no, 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 they're not part of the decision-making. They're just giving me the money. Must be nice, by the way. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, but but something to, to look in, into. Another thing I wanted to, to kind of dive into too, um, because our paths are different, Justin, mm -hmm. I've been my own, you know, cowboy, and we'll, we'll get into my story in a bit, but I've been my own, you know, doing my own thing for years and years now. Um, but you've worked with a couple of the some of the top brokerages in the country. And it's interesting to me that there is no one best way of doing it. Like if you talk about like the system and approach and a process that different companies have, I'm always surprised to find out that although there's a lot of similarities and a lot of obvious best practices, there's a lot of the, the art and the way of getting a deal done when you build a team, there's so many different approaches to it. And I'm kind of curious what some of the, things that you've noticed and some of the key differences that uh, that you you noticed there? Because you worked in a couple of different big companies. Like, what were some of the biggest things that you noticed that were different? For me, I would probably say the the way the underwriting, because when I did work at them, I was under an underwriter status. So I had deals brought in to me. For those of you that don't know what an underwriter is, it's when people or agents bring in deals to the underwriter. The underwriter usually has some sort of a split involved that he gets a certain amount of BIPs or maybe he gets a salary. He or she gets a salary or salary plus, something like that. Um, but the the actual deals are originated from the broker and we are the ones handling all the back-end stuff. So the document collecting, putting the deals in, running the numbers, making sure they're informed while they still maintain that front-of-house contact with the clients. So that was kind of the biggest thing that I've that I've come across is the fact that as far back as I went, there was um, a couple of the brokerages that I was with didn't really have any of anything set up. It was more of a, here's Justin, he's an underwriter, figure it out, right? So and it was, nice. so you might dealing with uh, a gentleman named Chris, for example, who came up and he just throws you the deal and says, do it. And then you'll have Mary who comes up and she says, okay, well, here's the documents. I want to be involved at this point. You better keep me involved at this point here. I'm going to text you all hours of the night and day. And so uh, the other way that we were doing it um, with another one that I was with is um, it was very process driven. So it was very, uh, someone brings this in, underwriter takes it from here, goes to this stage. At this stage, there's a notification that goes out to the client and to the broker and the broker does this. It was very 
very segmented in regards to who does what and where. So I found that that's kind of the biggest things that I had to deal with is learning how to manage expectations, not only from the client side, because as I said, in that first stop, there were some clients and uh, lenders and, or pardon me, brokers out there who did want nothing to do with client contact or underwriting. They just wanted me to take it from start to finish. And at that time, because there was no processes involved, it was something that you did. So learning how to do that, learning how to manage clients, learning how to manage brokers is definitely a less efficient way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know you as a broker and a broker owner, because I've had time with you and your team, are very, very process driven. You guys have lots of processes in place to make sure everyone knows what to do at the exact right time. Um, And in my opinion, that's a much easier way because you can always go back and see where you are. Mm-hmm. Right? There's not someone coming in and asking a uh, hundred questions that you should have been answered way back when. You know exactly where it is. Um, and I think we're going to be getting into a little bit of your processes and procedures, maybe not on this episode, but but coming down the pipe. Is that, oh, yeah, is that sure. something awesome? Oh, definitely. I'm actually thinking that what we might want to do in the future, Justin, is have a little segment where we actually have a couple of the different, uh, different approaches and different guests on our, our pod here to talk about what their process is. And then we can kind of compare the differences and look at the pros and cons. Because most most top brokers will also acknowledge, here's our system and here's what works really well for us. But also, there are some flaws with this type of approach. As an example, I've, I've gone all the way from having one person take the deal all the way through to having four up to four different people touch the file. Yeah. And you can imagine there's different pros and cons to each of those, right? So I don't want to go too deep into that because we're going to save that for later. Yeah, it's a secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll obviously talk about that. But I think that the uh, different systems and approaches is a really important key. And it depends on how you build your team, how big you want to build your team, because different approaches work better uh, for different sizes of teams too, right? Yeah. So. Absolutely. I wanted to key on on something that you said before when you said when you were talking about the differences that an old school broker like pre-1999 you know, sort of had to deal with and being that B-level broker. Mm-hmm. You did mention that um, that image of that 22-year-old broker who is, who is your high school friend. Um, this was Kyle, just so everybody knows. And yes, I have pictures of Kyle as a 22-year-old out of the right out of the course broker running and gunning. Um, so I kind of wanted to examine that a little bit. If you wanted to kind of elaborate on how you got in this industry and what keeps you involved in it, I think that's something that, that would be an interesting point to, to touch on. Yeah. Well, my, my story is that while I was in... I was in college, so I wasn't. I wasn't a very good student in in school. <laughs> I was one of those those kids that teachers really hated because I would just do whatever whatever was required to get you know the C minus was the bar yeah, in many cases. Is yep. two, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> but what I I found is depending on the course and uh, and the teacher, I you know I I would apply my if I applied myself, I'd be really good at it and and do well. And usually uh, math and English were the two things. Um, and I actually think that in our line of work communicating math in an easy and effective way is probably one of the most important keys to our business. You know, you don't have to be a math nerd to know how to be in this business and be successful. Um, Communication is probably more important, but to be able to communicate math items and help people make decisions is really key. But long story short, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do in, in, um, in high school. I think I was bouncing around between uh, maybe being like a engineer and making cars, that would be pretty cool. At one point, I was thinking maybe an electrician because one one guy came up to me and said, look at my paycheck. I'm like, wow, and how long did you go to school for? Not that long. Nice, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Fast track, you know? But I was actually 
I was working at Tim Hortons and I very quickly became a supervisor at Tim Hortons when I was like 16 or whatever. It's kind of interesting managing people that are 55 years old at the age of 16. I'll tell you, man, that's a weird feeling. We're not quite that gapped. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little gap, but not that much. No, exactly, right? Not that much of a gap, yeah. Uh, you don't have any gray hairs, Justin. Not that I can see anyways. Uh, oh. Some of the people had only gray hairs, okay. so it's matching. So yeah, <laughs> very different. I like it. Um, but one of the uh, interesting things was when I was uh, working there in high school and then eventually going to college. And I became, uh, I was going to uh, Douglas College. So, you know, grades weren't good enough to go right to university. And I guess my plan was go to college for two years, get the grades up, and then eventually get a university transfer. But I was focusing mostly on uh, business management at the time. So I thought, oh, I really like managing people. Let's focus on on the business management part. And I remember I had a teacher that said, you know, or I, you know what it was? It wasn't that I had a teacher that said this. I remember asking the teacher, like, so just because I know how to manage people, that's not going to like get me a better job at the company. He's like, well, no, it's just going to help you move up the ranks faster. Like, okay, well, maybe I should just go into just business in general. And I remember having a teacher who, he was my accounting 201 teacher. And I was asking him after after class one day, you know, we're just chatting about a couple of things. And I guess it came up what his brother does. And his brother had a Porsche and a yacht and all those fancy things that when you're 19 years old, actually 18 years old, you want, right? 43 years old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. let's be clear. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Um, and so I was thinking, I kind of want a Porsche and I kind of want a yacht. Um, that'd be cool. So I asked him what his brother did and his brother was a stockbroker. Ding, ding, ding. Kyle Green's going to become a stockbroker, you know? <laughs> um, so I started applying to all these financial services companies and, and you know, the Edward Jones of the world, et cetera. Nobody called me back. Yeah. How could they not call Kyle Green back? <laughs> you know, 18-year-old Kyle Green, very different than, you know, 30, 35-year-old Kyle Green, I guess. So nobody really called me back, but I did, right when I turned 19, I did get a job at Westminster Savings Credit Union as a teller there. And I lasted there for five months. I couldn't, I couldn't do it, Justin. I couldn't do it. I bet. The union environment just sucks the life out of you. The very first day on the job, it's like, so what do you do when you're not busy? Like, oh, you know, surf the net. I'm like, for real? <laughs> you know, like, I, I was used to take, I, I was taking a full class load and I was working 32 hours a week at Tim Hortons. Like I was, you know, burning the candle at every single end, you know? And then you go to the, the credit union and it's like, oh, just chill. Not to mention, just I started looking at the pay scale, and it's it's not based on skill level; it's based on seniority. And looking at how long it's going to take for me to move up the ranks, I'm like, no, this is not for me. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into something different. So a friend of mine and I were talking, and we we're chatting over MSN Messenger. Am I dating myself? Not MSN Messenger, not you, not you know, I still think you know. that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so better than ICQ, anyways, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> now we're really dating ourselves. <laughs> So talking to my friend on MSN Messenger, and she's like, well, my parents are doing some, looking for some help doing some boring paperwork stuff. I'm like, you're really selling it here, you know? <laughs> but let's let's check this out. I show up. And you have to understand here too. So this was the youngest daughter of the three daughters in the family. Okay. And the two older daughters worked for the parents or in the industry. So the oldest daughter was basically primed to take over the company. Uh, the middle daughter at the time, I think she had worked for them and then was working for Home Trust, I think it was at the time. Uh, so it was in the industry. And then here's the, the rebellious daughter here that always gets into trouble, not always with me, but sometimes with me. 
you know, offering to say, hey, my, my friend's looking for some help to, you know, or, or looking for a new job. And so went to the interview and wearing like a suit from, no, I didn't even have a suit back then, a shirt from Moore's. Nice. <laughs> you know, it's all I could afford at yep. the time. But me and the owners hit it off right away and started to get into it. And uh, what excited me at the time, because I was still 19, and this is November of 2006, I think was my first day. They told me, hey, new mortgage brokers are making 50, 60 grand a year with a car allowance and all this kind of stuff. And those are some of the brokers that are kind of working in, in a position where they had more of a, a salary. And I still didn't really like or want a salary ever mm-hmm. in this business, but that was one of the options that was kind of given to me. So what ended up happening as I started working for them, they owned a mortgage franchise network called Meridian Mortgage Services. And at the time, they were about 25 franchises and they were funding about a billion dollars a year. Now, interestingly, Back then, they were almost neck and neck with Dominion Lending. Really? Yeah. Could you believe that? Like, yeah, it was crazy that Dominion Lending was that small back back then. No kidding. And now they're the behemoth, you know? It's crazy to see their growth. But back then, that was their main competitor, actually. So I was working at the head office of, of Meridian, um, was an assistant on their team for for a couple of years, getting to to learn and and to uh, to grow. One of the benefits, by the way, of working with a team is, man, you see a lot of files. You know, we were cranking out 25, 30 deals a month and you have all of these great people surrounding you to make sure that you're insulated from challenges and issues. And, and, um, I mean, back in the day too, we'll get into this, but like, it was easy to be a mortgage broker. (laughs) It's so important to know that kind of stuff though, right? Where they, where we came from tells us where we go and where we are right now. Cause we have challenges now that we never had then. And we had challenges then we don't have now. Yeah. So it's an interesting juxtaposition to stand beside each other, but keep going. I have yeah. Oh, no, no, I, I'm, it was a, it was an interesting time for sure. I mean, you could throw shit at a wall and it would stick, yeah. you know, like literally <laughs> like, oh, okay. You know, fax the wrong thing. Hey, I faxed you the wrong thing. Could you just delete that? Yeah, no problem. Like, really? Okay. Like that, it was just a weird, it was a weird time back then. So what ended up happening is working for the, for their team for a couple of years in 2008, I got introduced to a guy named Ozzy Jurok here in Vancouver. Mm. And the reason we got introduced was that Ozzy was a owner of one of the 25 franchises. Okay. And so Ozzy Jurok had a, a real estate group and they would meet every month, um, the first Monday of every month or whatever. And he'd also have like large events. He'd have weekend courses to teach people about investing in real estate. And what ended up happening, there's another mortgage broker that was working for their, their group that then left. And so Ozzy came to the owner of the of the brokerage, his name is Randy Cowling, and said, hey, I really want you to take over this. I need somebody to take over. And Randy's like, yeah, yeah, we got Kyle Green over here, this kid. And Aussie looked, took, takes a look at me. He's like, yeah, no, uh, we want you, Randy. And Randy's like, trust me, man, give the kid a try. How old were you? 20. 20 years old. Yeah. And, and, and when Actually, 20, 21, 21. I would have been 21 at the time. And yeah. Aussie's a legend. Yeah. Right? He's a Vancouver real estate legend. If anyone doesn't know him, go check him out. He's an awesome person, but I've never even heard this story before. Yeah. So I'm interested as well. Yeah. Actually, no. Yeah. It, it was the first time that I hooked up with Ozzy. I actually still was 20. So it was 2008 and I hadn't quite turned uh, 20, 21 yet. So <laughs> it's nuts. So we're going to these events that he, Ozzy's putting on and we're starting to get into it. And, and Ozzy would educate people on investing in real estate. And so what I found is very quickly, I was doing a ton of deals and transactions for investors. And it was myself and the two daughters of the owners of the company were the ones that would go to all the events together. So the three of us would would tag team it and, and work on all the deals together. 
you know, we always kind of got the sense of this, the two um, sisters weren't super like keen on having to take time out of their day to go and go to the events the first Monday of every month. And hey, you got to do like a little presentation about mortgages because we got to pump pump it up because obviously the more mortgages that the broker does in the group, the more uh, of a cut that Ozzy would be making too. Sure. Like it's it's important to him to like, I own a brokerage so that I can make some money, right? And also position it so that we have somebody that, that's really good doing the deals. What ended up happening over time is I ended up going off on my own eventually in 2009. And it, this was during the subprime crisis, a crazy, crazy I time. I remember. Oh man, yeah. like in that moment, that was the toughest time of my career for sure was going through that and making good money. I remember when I was, you know, I was 19 or 20 or whatever at one point. And I remember one of my paychecks for two weeks of work, it was like four grand. I was like, all in, you know, like literally <laughs> take it cash that all in, you know, like throw it around your bed, roll around in it kind of thing. I don't think I actually did that with that paycheck. I did do that once for my first cash pay that I received when I was delivering food for a restaurant when I like threw 500 bucks on the bed and rolled around on it. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Nerd. (laughs) Money nerd. But uh, it was interesting going through the subprime crisis and whatnot. And eventually the company was just like, hey, like just, you know, we have to cut costs and we think you're ready to go off on your own. And so I was like, well, I don't think so, but I think you're telling me that I need to leave. So sure, whatever. Started going off on my own. And uh, and and this was uh, May of 2009 was the first month that I went off on my own. And what we ended up doing was to kind of cut an arranged deal where I said, hey, look, Kyle, you can keep the Aussie Jurok thing. And then I was paying Aussie a cut of the deals and I was paying uh, the franchise owners a cut of the deals. But then that was my a source of business for me. And... It was a bit nerve-wracking being that that young and and then having to get in front of people and tell them your value, you yeah. know? So you're 20 years old and you're telling me that you're going to help me buy my fifth rental property. Like the type of people that you're dealing with when it comes to real estate investors are generally an older crowd, sure. you know, people that have more wealth. And so that was always an interesting, an interesting conversation that we'd have. And over time, and it didn't take very long, but over time, really grew into, into this. And I think one of the things that really helped was being mathematically inclined. It made it easier to have the conversations with these types of investors because I figured out really quickly that if the working with investors, the underwriting is the foundation. Mm-hmm. If you can get the deals done, that's the key. And what happens is because every lender has different policies, an investor couldn't just walk into any bank and just get an approval. Well, at least after the subprime crisis, it became a lot harder. Before that, yeah, you can kind of walk in and lenders would do whatever, right? But after that, all of a sudden, the government's like, yeah, I think we need to tighten up these policies a little bit. And then every lender kind of had different policies. And then the shopping around, not for rate, but for policy actually became how I started to really generate a a, a name for myself in the business. Um, and then what we what we kind of found was um, that then when I actually would talk to somebody and they'd you know I'd be at a um, a trade show and a person would say so and some of the very pointed people would be like so why should I deal with you instead of my other broker or my bank it's like well thank you ask thank you for asking that question by the way um, but I, I'd be able to say well it's because although I'm younger I specialize and I've niched myself in this one specific thing. And I do more business in this in one year than most brokers do in 10 years. And it was true because what ended up happening was 
the brokers in our brokerage started reaching out to me, 20-year-old Kyle, like, hey, I got this client that's at seven rental properties. Like, how would I get it done? And then I become a go-to resource for those brokers in the brokerage all of a sudden to then teach them. And I think to pause my story for a second and go into something I think is really important, whenever we talk to a new broker entering the business, what is your niche going to be? You know, because having a niche gives people a reason to talk to you instead of somebody else. And if you can expand your growth and working in that niche to start, I think that's a really important key. Um, I mean, if you look at it, Amazon didn't start off by selling everything. They started off by selling books. Then they started getting into music and then they started selling everything, right? Most companies start with a specific niche and then once they gain traction, then they can become a bit more of a generalist. But I think you have to have a reason for people to contact you instead of instead of somebody else, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's important as well The um, that you said you're very you're a mathematically inclined brain, mm-hmm. right? I'm not. So <laughs> what I want to do is make sure that everyone knows that this is not just a math industry, Yeah. right? It's a people industry. And while you grew your um, vast amount of knowledge based on your mathematically inclined brain and figuring out complex deals, I was an underwriter who, I can do math, don't get me wrong, um, but I developed relationships with people that if I didn't know the answer, I knew someone who knew the answer. And I could do that. And that's kind of what I bring into my job as well. So I want everyone to know if you're listening to this and you're not that, you know, Kyle Green, mathematically inclined brain, but you are awesome with people or you have another superpower that, you know, would be a really good fit inside this industry to not get discouraged and to know that you can work on that while still developing, you know, what you consider is your superpower. And it can lead you to, you know, awesome places, right? Kyle took a completely different role and he's the owner of the franchise and he owns this. And I took more of a a supplementary role and a complimentary role. And we still ended up together. And we're still sitting at the same table having an awesome conversation about people who are going to join the industry or have joined the industry and what they may or may not be good at. So I just wanted to to tag that in as well. Totally. Now, that's a very good point. I think a lot of people assume that in order to be a mortgage broker, you have to be good with math. Yeah. And you don't. No. It helps, but you don't. The number one thing is being good with people, yeah. being a good communicator. I think that the math part is an ancillary thing to add on. If you can be good at communicating math, that's good. But also, I, I've always thought too that in school, they focus so much on on the complicated stuff. You know, like by the time that I was in grade 12, I was learning how to divide infinity by infinity. <laughs> how many t- how many classes do you think I attended when I was learning how to divide infinity by infinity? And right? how many classes did you learn how to manage your credit? Yeah, zero. Exactly. Zero. None. In fact, I was good at math and, um, and I was tutoring math when I was in high school. And I was teaching like, you know, math 10 essentials or math 11 essentials. And it's like, calculate this car loan. Calculate these foundational items that are actually valuable and useful. It's like, why didn't we learn this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what, why am I learning how to divide infinity by infinity yeah. instead of learning how to do this? Yeah. This, this is, that doesn't make any sense, you know? It's like every time you ask a math teacher, why am I learning this? Oh, because you're going to need it next year. Okay, we need it next year. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Especially in today's world, there's a lot of calculators that exist. You yep. punch in a couple of numbers and now with AI, obviously, it's like even even further. So but fast too. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, getting into it and and really starting to uh, to flourish. Funny story. So I started getting into public speaking and that's actually been one of my primary marketing channels is, is doing the public speaking aspect of things. And um, there was one trade show. So I, I, this is my second trade show I'm, I'm doing with Ozzy Jurok now. Okay. I think this is... Uh, late 2008 or early 2009, can't remember now. And 
I've got a, got the trade show. The last one was good. You know, got like 15 leads out of it or whatever. The the people that were adventurous enough to walk up to the booth and trust this 20-year-old kid got some leads out of it. But the next one, Ozzy comes up to me at around lunchtime. He's like, Kyle, the other mortgage broker didn't show up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to need you to speak at 1.30. I'm like, you're going to, what? <laughs> you speak at 1.30? He's like, yeah, yeah. So, so okay, I don't have any material. I don't have a PowerPoint. I have nothing. Um, he said, yeah, it's, it's okay. Just come into the lunchroom. We're wolfing down sandwiches, talking with our mouths full about like, what questions we want me to ask you? You know, I'm like, okay, uh, ask me this, ask me this. He's like, okay, let's do an FAQ style. So we just got up there and we did an FAQ style. Okay, so before I go into the room, Justin, I open up the door and I peek in. There's 600 people in the audience <laughs> and I'm getting in there to do a presentation with no material wow. at the age of 20 or 21 years old. There's more people than days you've been in the mortgage industry. <laughs> <laughs> you can do math, Justin. I, yeah. see, but I'm <laughs> also making you laugh. It's that yeah, people yeah, thing that yeah, comes right exactly. back, right? So. You got it. <laughs> so we do it and there's a lineup of people that come to the front wow. and are following me back to my booth. Ozzy's like shooing me away. He's like, God, get out of here. The next speaker's got to go. And so I'm like, everybody come back to my booth, you know? And and a lineup of people, I get mobbed at my booth. I'm just like shooting fish in a barrel all of a sudden, lead-wise. I probably get four times more leads. Not to mention the quality of the lead. When somebody sees you up on stage talking about something, you're an authority. Yeah. You know, somebody like Ozzy Jurok is trusting you to get in front of that, that group of people. And from that point onwards, I lied to Ozzy and I said, Ozzy, <laughs> the butterflies are gone. <laughs> they were not gone. They were never <laughs> gone. Yeah. They were never gone. So that, that point onwards, you know, it's funny. I actually ran into a PowerPoint presentation. The very first PowerPoint I did, oh my God, it sucked. It was so bad. <laughs> It was like grace, gray, gray everywhere and like too many words in every slide. Like all of the things that I know now, I was so bad at it to start. But you got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. And uh, one of the interesting things is Ozzy used to give you a CD to listen to the all of the speakers. So I was on a road trip somewhere and I was listening to myself and I said, um, about 55 times in a 45 minute segment. Can you believe that? More than an um a minute. Insane. <laughs> and I said, okay. That's the next thing I'm going to work on. And then you just get working on it. You pick one more thing, one more thing. And then, you know, my business coach would say, hey, do this next time. You know, lean towards the audience. Don't put your hands in your pockets. Okay, cool. And you just keep learning it and learning it. And now I've, you know, I've gotten to a point where you start to fast forward number of years doing presentations flying around the country to do educational events for how to invest in real estate, uh, becoming an authority in, in, the, um, in the industry for that. Uh, one of a very small handful of brokers that does that kind of volume with real estate investors and um, putting together training and courses and spreadsheets and all of these tools for investors, but really trying to own that specific space. Probably 80% of my clients are real estate investors. And I think that one of the things that we really focused on was the underwriting component. If you can get the deals done, then clients will keep coming back to you. And then it's repeat customers over and over and over again. But the underwriting required for those clients is tough. A lot of them are self-employed. A lot of them don't have the income needed to service, you know, every property. And we'll get into this when we talk about rental properties. But generally speaking, every rental property is a net negative on your application, not a net positive. And investors don't get that, you know. So educating them and uh, and showing them how to how to tweak their portfolio, always having these these things that allow you to get the next deal done. 
And next thing you know, you fast forward a number of years. I've I've built a team. GMT. GMT, Green Mortgage. Yeah. Uh, Green Mortgage has been one of the top brokers in the country for, I think, since 2017. We've been in the top 25 for brokers in the country. Yeah, I think that's right. Our best year is 2021. It's basically everybody's best year. (laughs) I peaked early, I guess, you know. (laughs) But peaked at uh, 250 million that year um, with a with a sizable team. I think that year we're number 14 in Canada, and uh, then bought Origin Mortgages, which is the brokerage that um, that was owned by the by Jeff Willis and and Kevin Deere, the guys that created Velocity. So buying their brokerage. So by the age of 35, I had funded over a billion dollars in my career, and also owned a brokerage that funds over a billion dollars a year in mortgages. And I think that the evolution is now getting into more on the you know, trying to share more of what has made me successful and what makes me successful doesn't isn't going to apply to everybody. But I think there's a lot of lessons to go into that and and trying to really focus on how do we help brokers do more business? How do we help with setting up the marketing and the systems and the, you know, the underwriting? And, you know, we're gonna I'm gonna repeat this concept a lot because I think it's really important. Underwriting is sales. Number of times that you get on a phone call with a client and you can talk to them about the underwriting and how that's going to help you get the deal done. At the end of the day, the customer wants the deal to get done. And I think that if you can use the underwriting knowledge, not only with the lenders in the broker channel, but one of the things we focused on is understanding what the lenders outside the broker channel do. We know all of the CIBC, RBC, BMO policies inside and out. Because if a customer says, oh, I'm going to talk to BMO too, we've been able to actually underwrite that and say, you know what? Go to BMO. Like, don't send me your documents. It looks like it's going to be a better fit there. You should just go directly there. Save us a ton of time. Client with eight rental properties. You know, we don't want to process all that information. And uh, and so I think that's really key. And I, and I think coming back to it, to wrap up my story, an interesting thing that came up was, I think, a couple of years into my... Um, a couple of years into me being a mortgage broker, I was asked, so Kyle, why do you... Like, why do you like it? Oh, you know, like this and this. He's like, no, 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 but like... Why? You know, why? And I think the key for me was that from a young age, I always like people, money, and numbers. And what better business to be in than being a mortgage broker? People, money, and numbers. Yeah. That's literally what it is. And it starts with the people. You know, the, the, the money, of course, if you're a driven person, you can make as much money as you're worth in this business. And just dealing with money. It's not even the fact that I, I like having money. It's, it's just that I like dealing with money. You know, wanting to be a stock trader or, or when, when, I was, when I was younger. And then just being good with the numbers part too. It just helped kind of give me that foundation to uh, to build off of. So yeah, that's awesome. That, there, yeah. There's some stories in there, like I said, that I've never even heard of. And like you said, we've been dating for four years and we've been together for two. So I've never heard a couple of those stories. So I think it's fascinating to see, you know, where you came from. Um, but let's leave where we've both come from a little bit behind us now and think of where we are right now. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with us. Hopefully you're able to take a couple things from today's episode, implement it into your everyday, and improve in the areas you need to. For direct interaction with us, please join the conversation through our Facebook community. Check the link in the show notes, and happy brokering.